Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi everyone, Chris Odinitz here. I'm talking on the morning of October 18th. Uh, Some weeks ago, seven weeks ago, at the end of August, I recorded an interview with Father Piotr Żelazko, who is a Catholic priest who's been living in Israel for 15 years. He's an Israeli now he is part of the vicariat of St. James. His flock are Catholic Israelis, Hebrew-speaking Catholics, and also Catholics who live in Jerusalem who come from other parts of the world. It was a lovely interview, and it was all about his life in the Holy Land. Of course, it's a very different Holy Land today than it was some weeks ago. So I called him up on Zoom and asked him to tell us about the war. I, I don't know if the war will be called the October 7th war or the war with Hamas or Gaza or what. Um, but I wanted, before we go to the interview about his life there in the last 15 years, we're going to start with a few minutes of just, just discussing what has happened in the last 11 days of the war. Okay, it's October 18th. Joe Biden is in Jerusalem today. Two U.S. aircraft carrier groups are in the eastern Mediterranean, the USS Gerald Ford and and another one. Yesterday, a hospital caught fire and hundreds of people died in Gaza. It seems like it was from a rocket shot by something called Islamic Jihad from a nearby cemetery. Uh, But of course, uh, others accuse Israel of doing this as the evacuation of the Gaza Strip continues with a million people trying to move south in preparation for the entry of the IDF to go and try to find the tens of thousands of Hamas militants who committed the atrocities of October the 7th. What will happen next? I don't know. Smarter people than me don't know. But Father Piotr will tell us about his experience there, what he's trying to do. As Pope Paul VI said, and Father Piotr reminded me, peace is not just the absence of war. So what can we do? Well, we can pray. Yesterday was a day of prayer that uh, Cardinal 
pizza bola in Jerusalem called for prayer and, and fasting. And Father Piotr will tell us about that. If you want to skip the war and just hear about Catholic life in Jerusalem, I'll put the time in the notes below once I've finished editing all this. And you could just fast forward to that. Father Piotr has also very generously offered to talk to me every few weeks or so for a few minutes to let us know how he's doing. So I will include that in future episodes live from Israel. Tomorrow, Father Piotr will meet with interreligious leaders, Muslims and Jews and Christians to pray. Christians are a minority in Israel and Palestine, but there's something like 185,000 Christians in in uh, tiny Israel and a couple thousand more in Gaza uh, who are in the crosshairs of this violence and our Abrahamic brothers and sisters, the Jews and the Muslims, all children of Abraham, people of the book who share our religious heritage. Here's Father Piotr and let's pray with him for uh, peace, for Israel, our brothers and sisters there, and for Palestinians as well. Okay, uh, good morning, Father Father Piotr. Uh, it's We talked um, a month and a half ago, and this week I was editing our episode to publish it, and I thought, my goodness, it's not the same Israel that we were talking about. Today is October 18th, the Feast of St. Luke. Yesterday was Tuesday the 17th, the day of fasting. I have the uh, opportunity here to speak with Father Piotr, whom we talked about. Uh, his life in Jerusalem and in the Negev. Before we play that interview, I wanted to ask how he's doing, how his people are doing, what does he hear, see, feel, think in Israel? Um, How's it going? Hi, Chris. Um, I have to tell you, uh, this conversation is not going to be easy for me because I I refused all the the requests of journalists. There is many phone calls and many People ask to to command something, and 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 I I just uh, you know the first week after the attack was was really the entire country still is in shock and and it's not easy. Um, uh, I would like to thank for the support of so many people from all over the world. They send us words of consolation and and it means a lot. I appreciate all pe- all the people who are interested of how are we doing, and also you and your listeners. Uh, this means a lot. As I told you, um, it's not easy. Uh, we deal with something that never happened in Israel before. We deal with uh, with enormous violence and and scenes of uh, of crimes that are I, I've I've never thought I would I would see something like this in my life. And first moments, uh, this was so much, so many movies and so many pictures. I I had to cut off even the news. But you can't live in the country without the news. We need to know what's going on. We need to know what is the situation. I try to protect the kids and the youth, but it's impossible. They are in the social media. They are in the internet. And all those pictures and all those movies, they just enter our heads and our hearts. And and I'm very much afraid of that this will that this will change us, that this will... Um, I, I hope and I pray that... The, the forces of darkness that tried to to sow the the darkness 
that they might win in our hearts, that we turn into uh, some creatures that have uh, only hate and the will of revenge. And I pray that this will not happen. Uh, people in Israel are obviously in mourning, and but also in anger. And uh, that this big... Um, those feelings are circulating. You can you can feel it everywhere. You can hear it every, everywhere. So I hope it will not uh, change us. But it already has changed us. I mean, this is a this is a different place. Israel is a different country after everything that happened. It it, it will take years and years and maybe generations to forget uh, what happened. Yes, and um, amen about uh, for your prayer of. Uh, even you know, separated from you by thousands and thousands of miles, uh, it was very striking um, and and shocking. Just especially the very personal nature of the crimes. You know, shooting a rocket or or for the United States crashing an airplane into a building feels different than going into people's houses and um, burning them or cutting the heads off babies or very very strange. Uh, very strange. The, the 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 kind of violence that we've seen or heard of is uh, is so personal and deliberate, and uh, nothing strategic about it. It just feels like. Um, and I don't know about the the impulse to retaliate. You know, eye for an eye, as the law of Moses tells all of us, Catholics, Jews, Muslims. Um, but and yet we still have this idea that we are children of God, and God is love. How do we, people of the book, live, you know, believing that God is love and, and seeing how broken we are together? This is very difficult because all those victims, they have names, they have faces. And as you said, they were attacked in their own houses. They they are innocent. They are children and, and, and babies even. And this is this is really traumatizing us all and affecting us all. But as the speaker of Israeli Defense Forces said, today in in an interview he said something like this is uh, is is not present in islam um, we shouldn't blame islam as as uh, as religion uh, we should blame people who manipulate religion who manipulate the name of god and and they really brainwash uh, other people and they, they are so manipulated that they are ready to commit those crimes this is this is terrible how much uh, people can influence the others how much they can manipulate them and and this is pure evil as you said we we are speechless we i'm i we have so many people who who lost their members of families or friends and and there's so many funerals also. Just a few minutes ago, I sent one of our priests to, to go to maybe one of the last funerals because this victim was identified, the body was identified only now. And and there was like a last minute call. Do we have a, a, a Christian minister or a priest to, to perform a Christian funeral? Uh, so I sent one of our priests. He's probably right now in, in his way to the cemetery to, to perform this to to celebrate this uh, this funeral so it's entering our lives i have we have many many kids well i call them kids they're my kids i i, I watch them grow and i remember them from since they were were small and now they are in the army and they were mm. called even those who finished the army were called because there is this big mobilization so 
every everyone is needed and uh, our youth they are in in the military bases now they are called they we try to be in touch with them we pray for them and today we decided also to prepare small gifts for them and mm. we send we will send them as soon as possible little gifts we have experienced what uh, what do the soldiers need you know like even even little things like coffee or or underwear or socks or or something sweet and of course a message we are with you we pray for you may god pr protect you uh, this is uh, happening now and uh, i think it's very important for the people not to go after emotions uh, whether it's rage whether it's uh, you know like some people just uh, just publish in social media various things and i i know that many of those uh, of those publications are not, are not rational so the the the, the only thing is Try to think about everyone as a human being, as, mm -hmm. a, as a person with the name. The dehumanization of of the enemies is what what happens in this conflict. Okay, so people are always people. They have families, they have friends, they have faces, they have names, they have feelings, and we need to stay on this level. We cannot turn into darkness. We, I believe, that light is stronger than than darkness, and as the Gospel of John in the first chapter, we 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 can read that the light lights up the in the darkness, and and this is our hope. I, I'm, I'm, it's not easy to me because you know people expect from me to be strong and to give them some words of consolation, which is also not easy. Sometimes I'm. I'm, I feel really alone in in this way of, of of protecting people from evil thoughts and from the lack of hope. At uh, at the end, also the religious leaders, also the priests, uh, we we also need to deal with this. We also this is a struggle in our hearts. So you know, um, there is a lot of darkness around us now. But uh, I'm trying. Uh, yesterday, I, I participated in uh, in this in the prayers for peace in the Latin Patriarchate. Very touching moment. Very moving. Many people came, and and of course uh, we called all our parishioners or our our believers to to join our prayer and fasting. You know something that is very powerful. You know when you feel hungry the entire day when you mm -hmm. uh, offer it dedicate it uh, for the others for the peace for those people who can decide about the peace uh, then I, I think it's very powerful so there was a lot of light uh, yesterday in the entire holy land i could also read some messages from people all over the world how they join this prayer how they feel connected spiritually with us and it was really the day of hope and uh, you know, we will never know if this prayer uh, is effective, if, the, if it can stop the war, if it can bring peace. But one thing is sure, it changes us because mm -hmm. I feel much better today after the day of fasting and prayers. And after the day of, of, uh, of I could see the unity. I could feel it with many people all around the world. So there is signs of hopes and, and we are still hoping. Today, President Biden is visiting Israel after the enormous tragedy of yesterday more than 500 people killed in a hospital in Gaza. Uh, there is still a discussion who did it. And there is still, you know, like evidences uh, that it's not Israel. These evidences was published were published recently now in this morning. But we will see. Um, we need to wait. Uh, and again, uh, try to be uh, sympathetic with the people who died with their families. 
we also try to to say that cutting off electricity and water for two million people is not the way to to kill the to 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 destroy the violence to destroy the hate and uh, so these are all those emotions that are circulating around us and but uh, i'm telling you it's very quiet on the streets of jerusalem today mm. in the recent days there is no schools many shops are closed many also many businesses don't work because so many young people were called to the to the army even those who finished already those who are in the reserve units um even my sec- secretary of our vicariate she works only uh, from morning till the afternoon and then goes to one of the military bases because they need her there uh, so this is the reality of war and and it's not easy and I, I receive all those messages like, uh, why don't you leave? Why don't you try to escape uh, maybe to some place uh, where there is quiet, where there is no, no war? Uh, I will not do this. And there's not even a question. I, I asked all the priests how, how they feel. And, and they all uh, are very dedicated. They want to stay with their communities. I'm talking especially about the community in Beersheva, which is in the south. They constantly have alarms. They there is a nice uh, shelter uh, uh, beneath the building, the parish building. So uh, the priest working there uh, always uh, has the possibility to 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 go down to the shelter and to protect himself and the people who are there. But he's alone because the volunteers and and even the students, the overseas students, uh, they left. But uh, as I told you, this is our place. This is our home. This is our country. We will not leave. We will stay here. And I hope that uh, the, the the future uh, might bring some signs of of hope, uh, of light. We will see. We we will see. Yeah. Oh, that's. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I read one story that gave me a little. A ray of light, which was about an older woman and her husband. And when their home was invaded by two uh, Hamas uh, fighters, she gave them coffee and cookies. And they just talked for 15 hours uh, and she survived. Um, eventually, the army came to her rescue um, or the police. But uh, even somebody who comes into your house with the intention of of killing you, you can sort of treat him like a mother or, or a father and there, you know, even if you set your desire to murder, you can still be reminded of your shared shared humanity. That's that's a I know that story is one in ten thousand, um, but it is one of the few things that I heard that that was very sweet. Um, from yeah, Crush, I saw the interview. Yeah. I saw the interview with this lady, and it was quite funny because she spoke totally relaxed, even in if her life a few days ago was in the danger. She spoke about like. Yeah, I saw they're hungry. So I said, you need to eat something. Otherwise, you can do something stupid. A hungry man is an angry man. Yeah. So she prepared them some food. And, and of course, um, many, most of the people, almost almost nobody, they didn't have a chance even to speak to the, to the terrorists. They didn't have a chance uh, to ask for mercy. They were just killed uh, cold blood in a cold-blooded way. And... And this is so terrible. I, I'm trying not to not to look into those uh, stories and 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 movies and 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 uh, sometimes these are messages, last messages sent by people to their families when they knew they are going to die or when they were terribly afraid. Mm, this affects us also. 
But I would say, like I said yesterday, the, the day of big hope and, and this united prayer is a big sign of, of light. But there is some some good moments here, of course. I can see the nation united around the young people in the army, and I can see how how they are trying to support those kids who very often are also scared. They don't know mm. what the future will bring. And and you know, I can only imagine what the mother what a mother feels when, when her child is in the army. That's one thing. But there is also this big shadow of uh, almost or maybe more than 200 hostages among them so many kids and whenever i see those faces i i pray for them and and you probably know that even our cardinal patriarch pier battista pizzaballa offered himself as an in exchange for the oh, hostages wow this i did was, not know that no this was a big gesture you know and when they published it my mother immediately called me and said <laughs> Don't do anything stupid. I know you. You will volunteer to go with him to Gaza in exchange for the hostages. Don't do it. I tried to say, like, mom, you know me well. If there was a possibility, I would probably at least think about it because this is what, what I think it's the necessary thing to do. But but these are signs of hope, you know, people who constantly don't lose their faith that, that these hostages will be released uh, and maybe there will be some negotiations. I read this morning something about Hamas saying that they are, might be ready to negotiate about the, the return of, of the hostages. Uh, it's it's terrible to see those pictures and and especially the short movies of parents who publish it in social media, asking, begging, bring our kids back home. Uh, this is something uh, terrible. But as I told you, we are trying to find any single sign of hope and of light, even in these terrible times. Uh, I know that our kids, the younger uh, brothers and sisters of those who are in the army, this evening will prepare the little packa little packages for, uh, and they will write personal messages that we pray for our the youth that are in the army. This is something, you know, what we can do, prayer uh, and and uh, being united and uh, trying to find our way to continue because life doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no school, there is there, there is silence in the streets, but, but uh, we are still alive and we are still um, here and, and, and we need to find also our own way how to deal with the reality. And this is what we are trying to do with all the priests. Uh, we try to 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 be with with our people and and to send them the message that that love is stronger than violence, or it might be stronger. Well, I, I think I think you're right, and I'm inspired by the cardinal's very Christ-like and apostolic um, gesture. What a beautiful thing! Um, Thank you. Thank you for sharing from the Valley of Darkness, the, from the Veil of Tears. Uh, I hope that we who are sitting here safely in our, our safe countries hug our children a little tighter and walk down our safe streets a little more grateful and that we are all more grateful that we get to go to work and get to go to school. And um, I pray for, uh, well, perhaps you, Father, would you lead us in prayer? There's thousands of people listening to us all over the world. And um, what, how shall we pray, Father? Okay. Uh, well, thank you for this opportunity. I would like to invite you to pray with me. Um, Psalm 122, this is a pilgrim's prayer of Jerusalem, for Jerusalem. 
In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mm -hmm. I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now our feet are standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city, walled round about. There the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There are the thrones of justice, the thrones of the house of David. For the peace of Jerusalem, pray, may those who love you prosper. May peace be within your ramparts, prosperity within your towers. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I pray for your good. And we also pray not only for Jerusalem and Israel, but also for all affected people in this conflict, especially the the people in Gaza also that are suffering a lot, the victims and those uh, who are crying. And in a very special way, let us pray for freedom for the hostages. May they come back home. And may also our soldiers come back home safe. We ask in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Amen. And now here's the original interview from before the war, where Father Piotr described his life and work as a Catholic priest in Jerusalem. In this case, our podcast becomes a little time machine. And nostalgia means homesickness. Uh, or as Don Draper said on the Mad Men TV show, the pain from an old wound. So now we visit a simpler time, which was just two months ago on Almost Good Catholics. He would invite me to his family for uh, to, to celebrate Passover, Jewish Passover. And you know, um, most of the people after the meal, uh, they are tired, they go slowly home. And at the end, only people who stayed to pray the, the rest of the Psalms, which you are required to pray, was the rabbi and me. So his wife tells the story how she at 1 a.m entered the living room. There was her husband, Rabbi, and the Catholic priest reciting the Psalms because to finish all of the, those Psalms. So, you know, beautiful experience of seeing how people pray and how they try to live their faith. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Adinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the interesting questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, I have the great privilege and honor of speaking with Father Piotr Zelasko, Patriarchal Vicar for the Hebrew-speaking Catholics in Israel. He is part of the St. James Vicariate, an integral part of the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem. The Vicariate gathers Hebrew-speaking Catholics who live in Israel, those belonging to the Jewish people together with those coming from nations, including a number of local Christians and migrants. They form one community with Jesus Christ and belong to one church. They're in union with Pope Francis, with the Patriarch, his vicars, the priests, and all the faithful of the Latin Patriarchate. At the same time, they're the home, I'm sorry. At the same time, they feel at home in Israel with Jewish Hebrew-speaking neighbors. So welcome, Father. I could say Vitam Kshenza, or I could say Baruch Haba, but let's just say good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Chris. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I, I I would love to ask you for a joke, and I have I have one too. Though, so you go first. It's gonna be good. Well, most of the jokes start with a priest and a rabbi enter into a bar. But I have a real life situation. One of our interreligious meetings at the University of Ben Gurion in Be'er Sheva, uh, I was invited there and we entered together with my friend, good friend, a rabbi from Yerucham. We entered the elevator together and we were <laughs> blocked. And, uh, and we looked at each other and just said, okay, let's just pray. After a few minutes, we were re released. But uh, we use this situation and we start all the jokes like an, a priest and, and a rabbi enter an elevator. What's next? <laughs> well, it's very it's a it's a lovely coincidence because I was listening to your homily about uh, Matthew 14 and um, Peter walking on the water from two weeks ago uh, on YouTube. And the joke that I thought of who reminded me from long ago was that there's a rabbi uh a priest, an imam, and they they're all, you know, they're going on a picnic and they have a guest from the United States who is an evangelical Protestant Christian. And they're all in the Holy Land together and they're on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, they're out for five minutes and the rabbi says, oh, I forgot the picnic basket. And he jumps out of the boat, runs to the shore, gets the picnic basket, comes back. And then five minutes later, the priest says, oh, I forgot the wine. And he runs over to the shore and he brings back the wine and the imam says oh i forgot the the the, the lamb or the cucumber salad and he does the same and finally the um, evangelical protestant says oh, i forgot something and you know I, I forgot the the camera something and he jumps over the side and sploosh into the water he goes blue 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 and then the rabbi turns to the priest and says maybe we should tell him where the stones are <laughs> That's a very good joke. And, you know, every time I'm at the Galilean Sea, I'm trying to walk on water. I always pray like, maybe this time, maybe <laughs> it's a little bit. Let me try. And it never happened. But I strongly encourage everyone who comes to Israel, try to walk on water at the, the very place where Jesus did. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off yeah that I, I i would love to do that i would love to do that um i found your community because i was listening to um, the hebrew bible the tanakh um, and it was uh, recorded by uh, a father abraham uh, shmuelov 
And when I saw his name, I was so sure he was a, a rabbi. But as I did a little more investigation, I found out he was a Catholic priest who had been born into an Orthodox Jewish family, who had served uh, with the Jewish soldiers uh, for the British Empire against the Nazis and was taken as a prisoner of war to Greece and eventually discovered the New Testament and converted to Christianity and became a Greek Catholic and finally recorded the entire Hebrew Bible for us today. And I've been listening to his voice on YouTube, and it was only this year that I realized he had been a Catholic Christian. And so the more I read about your community, the more and more amazed and impressed I am, uh, and just delighted and and filled with faith uh, about what you are doing. So would you like to tell us how you became a priest and how you found your way from our native Poland to Jerusalem and, and this remarkable community? It's a long story. I barely remember because I'm a priest <laughs> for 20 years now. So as, a, as a young uh, teenager, I, I started to read the Bible more and more, and I started to think what God wants to tell me. And in a certain moment, I just discovered, okay, this is, this is it. This is the way for me. I, I am called to be a priest. This is my vocation. So I entered a seminary, not at once. I had to wait a little bit. My parents were not that happy at the beginning. And then uh, I finished my formation in Poland. I worked as a priest in a small parish uh, in Poland. And then after a year, my bishop sent me to Rome to study uh, the biblical studies at the Pontifical Biblical Institute in Rome. And... Uh, after the first year, there's a program of collaboration between um, PBI and Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I was among more or less 10 students. We were sent here for one semester to Jerusalem to study at the Hebrew University, and I fell in love with Jerusalem, with Israel. And I said to myself, okay, this is it. I could live here. I could, I could stay here. So I finished my studies in Rome. And I asked my bishop, uh, can I continue uh, to study in Jerusalem? He was that, at the beginning, he was not very happy, hmm. but he said, I trust you. I thought you will continue in Rome, but I trust you. So I came to Jerusalem to do my PhD. And for four or five years, I spent my time mostly uh, from morning till evening at the library here at Franciscan Biblical Institute. And I finished my PhD. In the meantime, I met those communities, uh, sp speaking Hebrew, Catholics, uh, local community in Jerusalem, and they asked me to help because my Hebrew was quite good. They asked me to help to celebrate Eucharist sometimes. And then we asked my bishop for a permit to stay um, as a fideodonum, like um, uh, it, it's kind of a contract between my diocese and here Jerusalem Latin Patriarchate. And I stayed for a few more years. And recently, a few years ago, I didn't ask to renew the contract. I asked to switch the diocese, to change, to, to be incarnated into Latin Patriarchate, and my bishop agreed. So for a few years now, I am officially a priest of the Latin Patriarchate. In the meantime, because I worked in Jerusalem and then at the Negev Desert in Beersheba for eight years, and then I was called to be the vicar. So I moved again back to Jerusalem. And I'm. this is now two years I am here serving as responsible for all our communities. So how long so have you been there? I, 
altogether, mm-hmm. how long have you been in Israel? It's been 15 years now. Wow. And wh- tell us about the desert. How is how is it living in, in the Negev? How is it living in Jerusalem? Uh, well, I loved the desert, but mostly because I loved the parish there. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many switches in my life and big changes. At the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm a priest. I, I will work in a parish in Poland. That's my destiny. Then when they called me to to Rome, sent they sent me to Rome. Then I thought, okay, uh, research, uh, biblical exegesis, this is my future. This is my vocation. And then I started to teach here in Jerusalem uh, at the Salesian University. It's a Jerusalem campus of uh, Pontifical Salesian University in Rome. And I loved working with the students. I thought this is my vocation. I will be teaching. And then uh, I became a parish priest in Beersheba. And I thought, okay, this is my life now. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for this small community. We have a house, we have a garden, we have a dog and a cat. (laughs) This is my reality now. And I I really literally always think like, okay, this is it now. Nothing better will ever uh, happen to me. And I, I was sure I will die in Beersheba and be buried there. And then they called me to Jerusalem again to be the vicar. And now I, I started to think maybe this is my vocation to be responsible, to be administrator, to take care of, of uh, all our communities. But who knows what is in front of us? I learned you should never say this is it. Nothing better will ever happen to me because God is so amazing and mm-hmm. you never know what he is preparing for you. Yeah. Amen. So tell us about the rich history of your community. Where, where, How do we have a, a vicariate of St. James? Who are the Catholics in the Holy Land? Today we have more or less, uh, I would say maybe a, a, about 1,000 people here in Israel. We have five Hebrew-speaking communities and two Russian-speaking communities. Hmm. And this is our reality today. But it all started in the 50s when people had this idea to pray in Hebrew, and they even translated the Eucharist, the text of the Eucharist, the words of the of the Mass into Hebrew, and they asked the permit from Vatican. And now imagine this was in the times uh, when all the church prayed in Latin. Hmm. And the letter from a letter from Vatican came uh, saying, what a question. Hebrew is a holy language. It's the language of the Bible. You can pray in Hebrew. So I sometimes think and imagine that probably Hebrew was the first non-Latin language in the modern times in which Eucharist was celebrated. And so in the 50s, the uh, it's not yet vicariate. It's the, um, I would say, um, uh, St. James Association, they called it like this in 1955. It was established. And after many years in 2013, we became a vicariate. Now you should know that in um, Latin Patriarchate, inside the Latin Patriarchate, there is four uh, vicariates for the territory. It's Israel, Palestinian Autonomy, uh, Jordan and Cyprus, and two personal vicariates. It's for the migrants and asylum seekers and our vicariate for the Hebrew speaking Catholics. So there are six vicars of the Patriarch uh, and uh, yeah, this is what we are doing. We are the smallest one, but I think the most interesting one because not many people in the world know that there is Catholics who pray in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And who are those Catholics? Are they descendants of Ottoman Christians? Are they immigrants from other parts of the world? Are they Jewish converts? How, how, how does it be that there are so many people speaking ca- uh, Hebrew and, and Catholic? Yes, we have a whole bunch of stories and everyone has it, his own very unique story. I just give you some examples. Imagine in, in the previous century in the 30s uh, in Belgium, a Catholic girl marries a Jewish boy. And it's before the war, and they know that Europe is not a good place for this mixed family because of the growing anti-Semitism. So they decided to move to Palestine, not yet Israel. Israel was not yet established. So they moved here, and they had kids. And in a natural way, the father, who was an atheist, a Zionist, a communist, whatever, in a natural way, he said to his wife, you can raise the children in your faith. So the mother took the kids to to the church and baptized them. And they are Catholics. And they live here from the times before the state of Israel was established. So now these kids have are like 80 years old. They have their own families and, and kids and grandkids. And they most of them are Catholics. We have stories like this. We have we have sisters or priests uh, saved during the Holocaust by some Christian monasteries, and they became Christians, and they are now here, and they really are proud of their Jewish roots. We have Jewish converts, or uh, it's better to say atheists, Jewish atheists who became Christians and came to us because they want to pray in Hebrew. But we also have migrants, you know, in the 90s, many um, migrants with Jewish roots came from the former Soviet Union after the collapse of the system. And they feel very good in Israel. They feel 100% Israelis. Some of them discovered their uh, Christian roots and in a natural way, they came to our communities. Uh, But also the kids of the Filipino migrants born in Israel, raised in Israel. Their first language is Hebrew. So we take pastoral care of them also. They are in our youth groups and probably, most probably they will stay in Israel, those of them who who received the the legal right to be here. Uh, So our communities are very colorful. We even have some in Arab families, uh, especially in the South, in Beersheba, um, Christians, Arab Christians who came from the North to teach in the Bedouin schools and their kids were raised there and because the only church there is uh, the Hebrew speaking church and so they come and they feel at home and we pray in Hebrew so what unites us is the Hebrew language but uh, you know like the church in Alaska prays in English and in Madagascar in French and in Japan in Japanese so, so you would say, okay, so in Israel they pray in Hebrew. It's not only the, la- the language. We really are proud of uh, being a sign for both the church mm-hmm. and the Jews. We try to educate uh, people in the modern uh, Israeli society about the role of the church, the history of the church, and especially of the uh, theology um, of the church about uh, how connected we are to Judaism. But we also educate the Catholics about the Jewish roots of Christianity and Jewish identity of Jesus. And we treat uh, the call to interreligious dialogue very seriously. And um, we use, there's many opportunities to meet uh, Jews, religious Jews here in Israel and to to do projects with them. Um, 
in the times I was in Beersheba, we even started a small association, interreligious uh, initiative of the Negev, with few rabbis and few imams. I was the only Christian there. And we even received a prize from from uh, from uh, Hebrew from Ben Gurion University in Beersheba for the interreligious dialogue. We would visit schools. We would talk about how different religions can coexist together and how they need to respect each other. And so even here in Jerusalem, Father Benny, who is responsible for this small community in Jerusalem, they once a month, the Catholics from the community meet um, uh, Jewish people from uh, from a synagogue, uh, friends of ours, and they study together Jewish and Christian texts, not in order to convince or convert anybody, but in order to say how these texts can move both groups spiritually, can give them material for spiritual growth. And this initiative is for years now here in Jerusalem, and and I am very proud of it. And uh, so, you know, this is only a little picture of what we are trying to do in this interreligious dialogue. I just came back from a nice meeting um, with uh, the mayor of New York City. And oh, wow. uh, yes, uh, various religious leaders were invited to welcome him in Jerusalem. And there were Christians and Muslims and Jews, uh, rabbis. And we all together, we said to Mr. Adams, welcome to Jerusalem. It was very nice because we spoke about how um, diverse the society in Israel is and how we all as religious leaders are trying to make it a place possible for everyone to live. That's that's wonderful. Well, if there's another city that I can think of that is so Jewish and so Catholic, it would have to be New York. Right. Maybe Paris, I don't know, is number three. I don't know. But so this is so helpful because we often think in national terms, but our church is a universal church. And I remember when I was an expatriate in Egypt, the people who went to church with me were also Filipinos, you know, because for I think for economic reasons, Filipinos can especially travel anywhere and work anywhere, but they are so um, faithful and devout that it's interesting to me that the children will now speak Hebrew because this is their their adoptive country. Do you also have a, a, a Tagalog mass, you know, sort of a thing here and there? Yes, there is. There is the entire vicariate for migrants, and uh-huh. they have Indians, mostly from Kerala, but they they pray in so many languages, including Chinese and, of course, Tagalog and uh, Malayalam. Mm. And uh, when I was in Beersheba, uh, Saturday evening mass was in English, and many, many Filipino ladies came, and we would uh, learn together glory in Tagalog. And of course, using the texts, we would all sing. This was so beautiful. And I love Filipino food and I love mm-hmm. Filipino um, hospitality. The Filipino mothers are my mothers. They, they <laughs> I, I just love every church event when yeah. there is Filipino mothers. They are so great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, and also how beautiful about the, the ecumenical relationships you had in the Negev with the imams and, and the rabbis. Uh, and the fact that all Abrahamic people can walk together on the same path and they don't waste time trying to convert each other. They they spend their time together loving God. Uh, what was that like? What what did you uh, did you share texts and pray together? Did you um, have community 
sort of initiatives like, hey, let's build a school or promote a hospital, that sort of thing. What what did you do when you when you did get together with the with the Muslims and the Jews in in the desert? Okay, there were different kinds of meetings. At the university, we would meet only religious leaders, and we would present to each other what uh, our faith says about a certain topic. So that was more like learn from each other. What does Islam, Judaism, and Christianity say about the rights of the women or the concept of time or various topics, really. And this was for us, for religious leaders. But then we, we also tried to reach the communities, each one in his community. So I would invite rabbis and Muslim leaders uh, at least once a year to my church to speak, to give the possibility to the people to ask questions. And also we had this program uh, of going to schools. Uh, in the Negev, there is a, there's many um, Bedouin schools. We would go there, um, a rabbi, a priest, and an imam to speak about what do the religions say about the others? How should mm. we treat the others? Of course, giving possibility to ask questions. That was funny because sometimes, you know, I uh, we would receive very difficult questions. Kids are amazing. They sometimes ask very abstract questions. And whenever one of us to whom the, a question was addressed had some problems, how to speak in this uh, language of the kids, how to explain some theological issues, the others would help him. So it was very funny to see a rabbi trying to, to, to help me. Why do we call God our father? How God can have children <laughs> and so far to the Muslim kids? You know, like, I, I love this. And my very personal experience was also to discover that people of God uh, exist in all religions. I remember Sheikh Jamal, we visited his mosque, beautiful mosque, and and, you know, this guy, when you look at, into his eyes, he's a man of God, no doubts. He's a man of mm -hmm. prayer. He's a man, he's fasting a lot, much more than his faith requires from him, because he says there's so much uh, injustice in the world. I'm fasting it in order to ask God to do something. And, you know, like seeing a rabbi who one of them became my very good friend. We were the same age. He's now in Melbourne. But that time... Um, he would invite me to his family for uh, to, to celebrate Passover, Jewish Passover. And, you know, um, most of the people after the meal, uh, they are tired. They go slowly home. And at the end, only people who stayed to pray the, the rest of the Psalms, which you are required to pray, was the rabbi and me. So his wife tells the story how she at 1 a.m. entered the living room. <laughs> there was her husband, rabbi, and the Catholic priest reciting the Psalms because <laughs> to finish all of the, those Psalms. So, you know, beautiful experience of yeah. seeing how people pray and how they try to live their faith. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Uh, that makes me so happy. I, I want to ask you, uh, so we we sometimes read uh, uglier stories. Uh, the, our uh, patriarch and cardinal designate Pizzaballa has commented on on the rise of offenses and persecutions. Is that uh, is that a real problem, or is that like one very rare that you know how very often something bad is highlighted in the news media? Do you do you? face persecution in a regular way or is it an extraordinary thing where somebody is cruel or rude to to christians in the holy land okay, i have to tell you that the cardinal has 
much bigger point of view and he sees many more communities and he has the, the entire picture and the reason why he wanted it to be uh, visible in the world is because uh, the problem was kind of ignored by mm. the media, local and international, and also by the services like police uh, or, or politicians here. So he decided to speak up. And from my point of view, our communities, our small communities, we barely experienced anything. There was a moment of tension when those acts of vandalism or hatred against Christians were really frequent. And that time, our friends from, from the synagogue in, in Jerusalem um, advised to us maybe to hire somebody to just you know protect us during the Sunday Eucharist because we live in the city center of Jerusalem and it's obvious to everyone that this is a, a Christian community. So they said maybe you should have a bodyguard standing there at the door just to protect you. We didn't decide for the Benny who is responsible. He didn't decide to hire somebody, but that was a period when we would close the main door right after the Eucharist started. And there was another door in the garden through which only people who are local from the community, they know the way. So it was kind of to, in order to protect us. But um, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, our the members of our communities we are very much integrated with the Israeli society. We speak Hebrew and we we go to Hebrew schools and we we participate in the in the social life of of Israel. Um, so we may be a little bit uh, closer to the Israeli society, but I can hear the stories of various uh, members of the monasteries or. Or priests, uh, you know, there is a there was a growing number of of incidents. Uh, from one side, vandalism against the churches. From other side, kind of gestures of hatred uh, against the priests or nuns dressed uh, like Christian uh, 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 church members. And uh, and uh, suddenly, in a certain moment, even the Israeli TV uh, was interested. I mean, there is so many people here who uh, think this is absolutely unacceptable uh, mm -hmm. for the Israeli society to treat Christians in, in this way. And they really, this was our Jewish friends, they really started even a movement with volunteers. They opened a hotline um, phone with the volunteers uh, waiting for reports because some of the nuns, for example, they they did not know how to report those incidents. They thought, oh, it's nothing. The police will not be interested. How do we do this? We don't speak the language. So these volunteers, young Jewish, uh, wonderful people, they just opened a web page. You can report any incident. It is also to raise the awareness that these things happen and that there is a big number. And we can control also the statistic data if this is growing or so, you know, I think there is uh, now a very, very a good moment to, to say, okay, the, the, the society started to, to be aware of the problem, at least. So, uh, but I think in, in today's political situation, the split inside the Israeli society, uh, more or less 50-50 is so big. Uh, this is not only about the reform of the, the juridical system, but also about other issues. Yesterday, there was a big manifestation of, of women, uh, Israeli women, who 
um, went to a Jewish Orthodox neighborhood just to speak about the rights of the women and about uh, their um, position in uh, the situation where um, political power tries to uh, do the decisions together with the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders. So they are unhappy by this marriage of, of politics and religion, and they want to manifest it. So I think now is the time of a big discussion in the Israeli society about the future. How should this future be shaped? What is the place of religion in the society? And what does it mean? This is a Jewish state, but still mm. democratic state. So how can we put these ideas together? And uh, mm, the Christians here inside uh, the Israeli society, this is probably for the first time in the history where Catholic Church is a man minority in a Jewish society. It was That's always yeah. the opposite direction. And I think both, both sides needs to learn how to deal with this. We as a church, we are um, used to be, uh, you know, to have big communities, um, bishops, dioceses, uh, also financial uh, power. But here in Israel, we are so small. And on the other side, Jews who were for 2000 years, last 2000 years, always minorities in mostly Christian countries, they suddenly uh, in their own country, see those minorities and they also need to learn how to deal with them and uh, so i think it's a very interesting situation now and do christians in israel feel israeli or do they always feel like a permanent visitor okay this is an interesting question because you know in israel there's 1.9 percent of christians yeah and inside this small number majority of them are orthodox christians now inside the um, Catholic Christians, majority are Eastern Rites, Maronites, Melkites, Armenians, etc. And only the minority are Latin Rite uh, Catholics. And inside this Latin Rite Catholics, 99% are Arabic-speaking uh, uh, Christians. So we as as Hebrew speaking Catholics, we are minority inside minority inside minority. It was even <laughs> there was even an article uh, in Haaretz, Israeli uh, daily paper, uh, about us, and the title was "Too Small to Be Called Minority." <laughs> so you can imagine this group of Hebrew speaking Christians. We really feel like very much integrated into the society, but I understand not all Christians. Uh, especially uh, when we speak about our brothers in Palestinian authority, we uh, uh, really appreciate their struggle for independence and we understand their suffering also from the side of uh, the state of Israel. So we need to be very sensitive about how they see the Israeli flag and the Israeli na nationality. However, we try to build bridges. Mm -hmm. My predecessor, uh, Father Rafik, uh, he's now the bishop in uh, Nazareth, and he he's uh, originally from Lebanon. He speaks perfect Hebrew. And this was, for our people, it was like, wow, a, a, a Lebanese is responsible for the Hebrew-speaking Catholics. But before him, Father David Neuhaus, uh, he was a Jew from South Africa, and he was teaching in, in uh, Latin Patriarchate seminar, Seminary in uh, Bejala in Palestine, yeah. speaking perfectly Arabic. So for uh, the future priests, 
it was a shock that a Jew is a Catholic priest and he's teaching the, the Arab priests, future priests, uh, uh, theology or the Bible. So we tried to build those bridges. This year, for the first time, we organized in July a big festival. You know, the, the, the first reason was we have some kids who have no legal rights. So mm. they, because they are descendants of the Filipinos and they cannot go to Lisbon for the World Youth Day meeting uh -huh. with Pope Francis. So we said, let's organize for them something here, like a small World Youth Day here in Israel in Dei Rafat in the sanctuary of Our Lady. And so that was the first uh, motif, first inspiration. But then I said, okay, if we are doing this in Hebrew, there's so many young people who are Arab Christians and they speak Hebrew because they live in Israel. Mm -hmm. And I started to contact my colleagues, priests, and ask, would you be interested to come and participate? And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, they were, let me put it in a politic politically correct way, mm -hmm. um, they were not enthusiastic. Mm. But some of them really responded and they brought kids. We had at least two uh, uh, buses of um, Arab Christians living in Israel. They speak perfect Hebrew because they live here. And we invited uh, our patriarch, who also speaks Hebrew because he was also uh, the vicar for Hebrew-speaking communities before Father David Neuhaus. So he knows Hebrew and very may well. I, may I ask, uh, is, the, is that Arab-speaking Christian group, is that part of the very large uh, Arab minority in Israel who are citizens of Israel and, you know, who've been there since the beginning? Yes, you're yeah. correct. Nazareth, Ramle, but also in the north, uh, many parishes, both Franciscan or Latin Patriarchate parishes. These are Arab Christians. They are Israeli citizens. So we invited them and the Patriarch celebrated the Eucharist. And he, I, I have to tell you the truth. At the beginning, I was like a little bit discouraged by by maybe we shouldn't do it maybe it's not mm. building the bridges but maybe we are uh, raising only the lack of uh, you know of trust uh, and i had many doubts but when the patriarch came and he said what you're doing is blessed it will be very difficult but continue don't stop continue to do it continue to try so during this homily which everything including the eucharist everything was in hebrew and he spoke hebrew during the homily and he said yeah. to those young people in hebrew he said for you hebrew is the language of business of office of a university but not of prayer and liturgy but you need to understand there is a group of people who pray in hebrew and for god it doesn't matter in which in which language you pray you just need to pray and yeah. these words were really powerful and i have very good responses from those who participated in this festival we want to do it next year uh, with god's help Okay, we need to find also the means to do it, but I am very optimistic and you know, we have so many friends. Uh, we will, of course, as small communities, we are not uh, autosufficient uh, financially. We need to ask help from all over the world. But uh, I have a big, big faith and hope that this is the way we should go. Try to build bridges, invite people to meet in small groups, in the prayer, adoration, worship concert. This is all what we did last summer, and we want this festival to grow and to be continued. That's beautiful. And when is the festival? 
do you know next year? I, I we are thinking about the date for the next year, but I I think it should stay in the middle of July summer. Mm -hmm. We need to plan well because we also organize uh, summer camps for kids and for the youth group. And a group of our kids will prepare a musical. So we want to uh, think about all those yeah. ideas together to find the the a good date. Maybe in the maybe I shouldn't speak about it, but That's my okay. dreams, yeah. my dreams, you know, uh, you shouldn't say aloud your dreams, but in my <laughs> dreams, this festival in the future, maybe as more international with Catholics mm. from all over the world, we could do in different in various languages. But in the end, maybe all together go to Nazareth. Oh, and wow. to have Eucharist in common in the place where the word became flesh. So, you know, mm, yes. I, I I have those dreams. And yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I don't speak up yet, but I pray and we will see. You know, I was never uh, disappointed by the way God uh, mm -hmm. guided me. And if it's his will, it will happen. Yes. Amen. I was going to say, you know, Theodore Herzl, the Zionist, would say, if you will it, it is no dream. But I, I don't think that's right. I think if it's God's will, <laughs> if it's God's will, then it will be. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so how are relationships between fellow Christians? There are so many Christians. And I read a very humorous piece uh, about a Muslim family that, that is in charge of the keys to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, because all the different, you know, Christian denominations the the Catholics and the Greeks and the Armenians, and they will squabble and fight over when to lock and unlock. So they said, you know what, let's give it to this to this Muslim gentleman whose father had the same job before him and his grandfather and so on. So how is it with uh, our, our brothers in Christ uh, in the Holy Land? I have a very good friend. He's a Franciscan father, Father Zacheusz. Uh, he's now in Gethsemane uh, in the Olive Garden. But uh, he was uh, a superior of the Franciscan community in the Holy Sepulchre. And I could visit him very often and I could see it, how, how it looks like. And, you know, I asked him once, don't you think that the Holy Sepulchre is an example for the world, like a, like a scandal that those Christians... <laughs> In the most holy place, they they are fighting. They cannot collaborate. And he told me, he said, "Listen, for me, it's the sign of unity. The fact that we are so different among us, and yet we can pray in the same place. Okay, not without problems, but this status quo, the the, the um, official way that the things are that cannot be changed. It's working there." Okay, and there is less and less problems. Sometimes some tension, especially be between Armenians and Greeks. I think for the last 50 years, at least, the Franciscans were never a part of any bigger conflict. And I could see, you know, like among them, they have very good relations. They visit each other, they drink coffee because they, they live this similar life, you know, life of prayer and, and liturgy in the Holy Sepulchre, receiving pilgrims. It's not an easy life inside the Holy Sepulchre. Mm -hmm. And they understand that they are so similar. So they try to, to be good friends there. And I could see it. And, you know, for our festival, uh, the Greek Catholics, Melkites came, a, a big group from the north. And for them, it was also not easy to follow the Latin rite uh, Eucharist. 
Uh, but they did it and they loved it. And we discovered that we have the same songs sometimes, mm. that we know the same music, that we worship in the same way, that we love Eucharist or, or that we all need from time to time to go to confession. For those young people, it was like discovering that I'm not alone. There's mm -hmm. people who pray maybe in a little bit different way, but we are brothers in Christ. So, uh, of course... There is and there will be tensions between various Christian groups here and there in the Holy Land. But I think as a minority, we need to stay united. And these um, official visits of the church leaders during the feasts or a week of prayer, uh, ecumenical prayer for all Christians, these are the signs for the future. I just met at the meeting with uh, Mayor Adams from New York City. I just met the new chancellor of the Armenian church. And, you know, he's almost my age. We, we started to talk. His Hebrew is very, very good. And we, so we spoke Hebrew and we just discovered how much we have in common. And I said, let's do something together. Let's meet each other. Let's invite our communities to meet. Mm. And he was enthusiastic. So I think we even, I even put his speech during the meeting. I put the speech, he sent me the text and I put it on our webpage. So it's a sign of like, okay, mm -hmm. we loved what you said and you spoke in the name of all Christians. And this is, for me, these are the little gestures we need to do something in order to show to each other and to the world that Christians can be united and that we take seriously what Jesus said. One day there will be one shepherd, and 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 we 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 really try. Uh, I mean, okay, we are weak, but again, with God's help, everything is yeah. possible. Yeah, we are we are a universal church, a Catholic with a small C. <laughs> amen. Yeah, amen. Uh, what are some of your favorite things about living in Israel, and what are some of the cultural adjustments you had to make to the pace of life, the climate, the people, the customs? I have very you know funny stereotypical ideas about what what is you know i know about poland i have stereotypes about our native country i have stereotypes about italians in rome i have stereotypes about um the familiarity that strangers have with each other in israel that you know and many funny stories so you've lived in places we've all heard of and can imagine what did you find oh uh, i love the weather oh this is so fantastic some people can come here especially during the summer and they say oh it's so hot yeah it is hot but <laughs> on the other side you don't need to worry about uh, the weather because it will be hot like this to a certain moment and then there will be rains and and it's so predictable i mean it's really really nice i love it uh, and i love the food of course uh, you know, hummus and falafel, but also fresh vegetables and fruits, very good in Israel. Um, by the way, there was a message uh, last night in the news that the tomatoes are suffering because there were mm. some problems with the water in the desert and they couldn't water them and then the prices will be higher. But to the tomatoes in Israel, they, they, they taste really like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. So I love it. And the cultural adjustment, the biggest one is how loud people are, people are how they shout to each other in, mm. instead of speaking, and how you know you need to be kind of it's not it's not to be rude, but to be to be to be aggressive, but to be mm, strong. Mm. Whenever you visit, especially in office, bureaucracy in Israel is very difficult. But when you visit an office, you need to be strong and don't take any no as the final answer fight for your rights and if it's no then ask a supervisor or a boss or whatever or 
raise your voice and speak louder. And in a certain moment, you even need to shout. And then the no turns into yes, very often. And I didn't like it at the beginning because, you know, especially in Beersheba, when I was responsible for the, the renovation of the parish and there was so many things uh, that I had to deal with in terms of bureaucracy and, and offices. And sometimes in the evening, I would do my exam examination of conscience and I would think like, ah, oh, I had to shout in this office. And then I would say, <laughs> yeah, Lord, but this is for you. This is your house. I, I did it because otherwise we would have to wait another five days. But I have the sign of this person responsible. Okay, I shouted, but we got it. No, this is for you. This is not for me. So I was trying to justify myself like this, but but kind Maybe of. Maybe you're mm -hmm. like Zacharias climbing in the tree, you know. <laughs> right, but, but you get used to it. Yeah. And I'm trying, you know, at the road, for example, not to react for the people who are trying to enter before you. And, you know, in the line, there is no line. Who's mm -hmm. faster, who's stronger wins, okay? Yeah. This is normal. This is in Israel. And, and you, you need to, to kind of start like it, to like it, and take it as, as natural. This is not being rude. This is just the way of life that you should accept this is middle east it's hot yeah. shout be loud and you know like i i was uh, recently in austria um, for a bunch <laughs> of there and i entered this restaurant and it was so quiet i couldn't believe it i said what are these people what happened to the people here you know it was full of people and yeah. they were all speaking like you know and i said oh it's absolutely impossible in israel you would have people <laughs> speaking to each other from the the opposite corners yeah. of the room and shouting to each other and and and, and you know like i i kind of missed it in this uh -huh. Austrian restaurant i said no no this is not my style i i need to be back to israel to yeah. to to hear that there is yes. life there is chaos there is you know and i saw one of those churches there they showed me and they say how do you like and i said yeah it's very beautiful but it's so boring and they said what <laughs> yeah, because it's so clean and so you know predictable and so yeah. in israel everything is like full of these colors and life and maybe chaotic but if you like yes. it you like it yeah, I totally agree. I was a student in Vienna, and I just remember the very orderly people all dressed in their beautiful furs and feather hats. So they all look like senior citizens going hunting or something. And it's so safe and so clean and so delightful. And I like it because I'm a pretty conservative person. And I also remember living in Egypt where it was a fight to go buy a train ticket, how hard it was for me, you know, who really wanted everyone to wait in line like Englishmen or Americans to try to get a train ticket. So um, that's very funny. Do you find out about the tomatoes from your Yarkan, your local um, vegetable stand, who tells you all the neighborhood gossip, or you read this online? No, I, I saw it in the news, but <laughs> you're right. It, it's very nice to go to the Shuk, which is the marketplace, yeah. and you know, like to talk to the people, to to uh, choose the vegetables yourself, but also to listen and even to eat. You know, uh, yeah. this. Ben Yehuda marketplace in in Jerusalem. This become it became a place for social meetings for mm -hmm. people go there not necessarily to buy. Yeah, yeah, we buy something also, but you go there to eat to meet people. I love it also. This is this is so Middle Eastern. Yeah, you know? we're we're running out of time. What else do you want people to know about your life, your work, your your adoptive country? What should we know? 
What am I forgetting um, to ask? Yes, this is a great opportunity to tell everyone. First of all, visit Israel. Absolutely. Mm. If uh, if you do this for religious reasons, to visit all those places where everything happened. This is the land of the Bible, and Holy Land is the fifth gospel. You need to see it. Uh, you need to see it in order to understand better the Bible. This is absolutely uh, number one. You should do it, pilgrimage to Israel. But if you go to, if you come to Israel, try to find us. It's easy, www.catholic.coil. Uh, once you visit, and our webpage is in many languages, also in English. So once you visit us, you can read about uh, our life. You can enter a little bit more into the news from the communities, from the youth pastoral work and everything. And you could, can always write me or any other priest. The, the email addresses are there. And you say, like, introduce yourself and say, oh, I'm going to be in Israel. Can I visit you? Or if you are coming with a group, maybe even arrange a meeting with a group, a visit in one of our churches. Sometimes it's possible even to invite you for the Hebrew Mass. We have beautiful music. And, okay, not always it is possible. Big groups, you know, it's technically a problem because our churches, our chapels are very small and are usually full on the Saturday evening Mass or Sunday Mass. Uh, so, but some Sometimes uh, I, I meet groups in their hotels in the evening and there is questions and answers and I tell them about life in Israel. And sometimes uh, the groups come to visit our church and one of our priests uh, can tell them uh, and answer all the questions. And uh, you even can uh, buy online some souvenirs, for example, our um, songbook which is so great. You have all the music there and the lyrics and even the way you should pronounce those songs. So this way you can kind of introduce uh, Hebrew-speaking Catholics into your community because I really think that the world should know that we exist. We are very fragile. We are very small. Mm. I don't know what the future of our communities will be. I always say if God allows us to survive, we, we will do everything to, in order to survive. But uh, we need the world to know it and to pray for us because this is so crucial. You know, I spoke about Israel with a lot of joy. But sometimes life here can be difficult. We have terrorist attacks. We have uh, ongoing war uh, with the terrorists in Gaza. And we had alarms and sirens and we have a shelter in our church building. And uh, sometimes I, I had to go like four times the same night down to the shelter because of the alarms. And you could see, literally see and hear the rockets coming. And even somebody wrote an article because I, I uh, called the priest, my colleague priest, who is in Gaza in the Catholic uh, parish, and one of the journalists from Italy uh, wrote an article about how Catholics on both sides of the conflict pray for peace. So this is also the reality of Israel. This shouldn't discourage you from coming here because it's a very, very secure place to visit, to pray here, to be here, to live here. But nevertheless, uh, uh, war and hatred is present here. And sometimes uh, we really feel like your prayers are crucial for us. And, and just the fact that somebody visits us or sends us a sign of, oh, we are with you, we stand with you, uh, you can count on us, we pray for you. This is really something that matters for us. And I already thank everyone 
who will pray at least one Hail Mary uh, for the Hebrew-speaking vicariate of St. James. The website is catholic.co.il. Catholic, obviously, CO for like common, IL for Israel. So that's a really good and very easy website. It's a beautiful website. And I see that it's in Hebrew and English and Russian and French and in Italian. And it's uh, very easy to navigate and attractive. To, there's uh, songbooks and prayer books. Um, I love what you said that Israel is the fifth gospel. Uh, I'm a historian of early modern Europe and early modern Spanish empire. And when I read about pilgrims who go to Israel, they see the Holy Land as a giant relic. Everywhere they go, there's layers and layers of history. You know, here's where Jesus said this. Here's where St. Paul did this. And before that, here's where David did this and and Joseph did that and so on. So it's... uh, I'm planning to visit you in June. <laughs> yeah, so I absolutely feel yeah. invited. Maybe you do some materials for your podcast here. Yeah. But uh, you know what you said about the Holy Land? I really think that God is everywhere. There's no places yeah. where there's more God. But, but nevertheless, you know, there is a reason God chose this piece of rock. Uh, between three continents mm-hmm. it's not especially beautiful uh, aesthetically there is better landscapes uh, in many parts of the world uh, but and the climate which i like so much but for many many people it's it's unbearable but there is a reason that god chose this piece of land and i am trying to to look into his heart and to understand why did you decide like this? Why Jerusalem is called the wife of God, uh, his chosen one? Why there is so much history for our faith in this small little piece? Why here? Why not anywhere else, okay? And this is a great mystery, and this is the free choice of of God, of course. But the, the more you come here, the more you visit, the more you think, Maybe it was not that stupid decision. Maybe he had something in his mind. Maybe there is a reason why he did fell in love with this country. So I strongly recommend you to visit and invite you. And please don't hesitate to contact us and visit us. Wonderful. Perfect. So let's let's stop there. Would you like to say a prayer for us that we may join you and and our blessing for our listeners? Okay, and we'll let us also pray for the Hebrew speakers. Yeah. A short spontaneous prayer in English, and then at the end I will give you the blessing in Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your faithful, wherever they are in the world. We thank you for your church that is so beautiful and so universal. We thank you for all those beautiful sights and colors of your church. And we bless you and thank you for, especially for those little communities, uh, sometimes forgotten by the world, uh, in a particular way for the uh, Hebrew-speaking communities. Bless all the members of the communities and all the priests, and uh, send your blessing to the local church in Jerusalem and Israel and in the Middle East. Send peace to Jerusalem, peace to Israel, peace to Palestine, peace to the Middle East, and bless us all. Uh, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Bardzo dziękuję. Toda chaba. Toda. Dzięki bardzo. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. And hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son.
Chris Sudinitz and Father Piotr Zelazko recorded this conversation, episode 71, on Friday, August 25th, 2023. It was the feast day of St. Louis, Saint Louis, King of France, ninth of that name. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from a window at the Santo Domingo de Silos Monastery in Spain and is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinius. Please email me with comments, questions, ideas for future episodes at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I'll answer your email. And I thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. And Father Piotr will talk with me every few weeks or so and let us know how he's doing. And I will attach updates live from Israel to future episodes as well. And we'll keep praying for our brothers and sisters in Israel and also the uh, many innocent people in Palestine uh, who are the first victims of Hamas, a terror group bent on destroying Jews and Israel and doesn't mind paying for it with the bodies of their own people and their own co-religionists in that little prison camp that we call Gaza. It is a hard time but people of faith know how this story ends. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.